This is Sean Chiplock, and you're listening to Cat with Monocle. This is your host, Seth Hay, and with me today is the voice actor, Sean Chiplock. You may have heard of him from Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, Secret of Mana Remake, The Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold 1 and 2, maybe perhaps Persona 5, Fairy Fencer F. I, I actually, it just made me really gleeful to talk about or to hear all those names listed because, uh, first of all, hi everyone, it's Sean Chiplock. You may also know me online as Sonic Mega. As he said, I am a professional voiceover artist, and uh, I am really happy that a lot of those titles are mainstream because for the longest time I was so used to people being like, Oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a voiceover artist. And they go, Oh, what would I have heard you in? And then I proceed to list off like three or four different titles that no one has ever heard of before. Cause it's, it's really funny. Cause online, if you say Danganronpa, like one in three people will know everything about the series. But if you say Danganronpa out in the real world, people are like, uh, is that Chinese or something? I've, I, is that like a, is that Chinese for manga or something like that? They have no idea. So it's really cool that I can say, Hey, I was in breath of the wild. And then even if people are like, what's that? Oh, it's that new Nintendo game. Oh, I know Nintendo. Yes. Small victories. <laughs> but not only that though, but over the weekend, you've actually had a big announcement too. Could you tell yes. us a little bit more about that? I am more than... It's fun. Okay, well, I should actually say what it is first. Um, I am more than ecstatic to announce that I voiced Subaru Natsuki, the lead male protagonist role of the upcoming English dub of ReZero, Starting Life in Another World from Zero. And even though it could arguably be said to not be as big, and I just mean in terms of total distribution as Breath of the Wild... It is immensely important to me because what got me into voiceover from the start was seeing Troy Baker in a booth recording for an anime called Trinity Blood. And it was so it was literally anime that made me realize that voiceover was a thing. And since I was 17, since I started, I had always daydreamed about being at the helm of of an anime of my own and and being the driving force of the story and being the main character that stuff happens to just taking on that challenge and getting to go through that entire adventure and experience it for myself and so having this be a reality is it's it's as cliche it is it's a dream come true now you've done uh, um like a lot of smaller roles i mean we talked earlier that you've had little bits and pieces here and there and there were, you know, some of them were like, yeah, you know, Hunter x Hunter was another big one. But, you know, mm-hmm. but this, you know, this one you, you just landed is actually it's quite it's weird because even though my anime portfolio could be said to be very sparse cons- uh, compared to my video game portfolio, I still feel as if all of the roles I had in the past played a part towards being prepared for something as big as this. To give an example, um, uh, Diabelle from Sword Art Online was a, a comparatively small role. It was one episode, but it was still a milestone in that it aired on Toonami. It was my first televised broadcast. It was proof to me that I, I could be good enough to be part of a production that was broadcast to people like that. Uh, Kasim actually has 
a lot of inspiration towards what I did for Subaru because uh, I forget whether it was episode 16 or 17, Kasim's answer. Um, there's a scene where he basically has a, to quote TV tropes, the reason you suck speech towards Alibaba. And it's equal. He has equal parts where he's kind of like depressed and like talking to himself and just kind of uh, moping and where he's just angry and lashing out and furious. And it was the first time that I had played both sides of that in a character. And I really believe that the, the scene towards the end of the scene when he just lashes out at Alibaba and he screams, you know, I can be someone different, someone who's sublime. I can be that person. That that yell was so crisp and so clean, and I was so, so proud of it. And there were so many times when I was doing a scene for ReZero when I was dubbing it that I, I told myself I want it to be as crisp and as clean as it was for Magi because if I can do that for all of these scenes in ReZero, this is going to be a performance worth remembering. It's going to be a performance that people will say was was worthy of being compared to the original Japanese. And I know... I know that the original Japanese dub for this anime was well-received and did a lot for the actors who performed it. Oh, right on. Now, now uh, correct me if I'm wrong, though, but when it comes to voice acting for, let's say, a lot of anime, for anime dubs, mm -hmm. it's usually, you're not in a group to do this. It's usually just no. individually. And then it's just then, yeah, you're pretty much individual. Yeah. Um, the only time I really know of in in the voiceover industry when you will be recording with a group is if the studio is choosing to do what's called a vocap, which is basically motion capture combined with VO, mm -hmm. which is still a relatively brand new technology, or if you're doing Western animation slash prelay, because with Western animation, you're recording first and the animators work around it, same as they you know used to do for the Disney movies. Right. So. Yeah, with anime, with video games, you are by yourself, um, and anime can be tough because the only time I get to hear anybody else is if they happened to record before I did. So it can be really – a lot of acting is not just acting. It's reacting. It's playing off what your scene partners have said and responding to the tone in their voice. So when you're basically speaking into a void and, and always being the one initiating conversation line after line after line after line, it can be really tough to stay authentic because you have you have no one to play off. You, you may have – do you remember the article uh, where it's talked about Ian McKellen Lord of the Rings just kind of having a breakdown because he was essentially acting in front of a green screen and none of his actor friends were sitting around him? That sounds familiar, but – Yeah. It's, it's basically the voiceover equivalent of that. It can be really hard not to start doubting yourself when all you hear over the course of a four-hour session is yourself for 100, 200 lines. And you start thinking, like, does this sound real? Am I faking this? Is this is this how a person normally talks? So it can be daunting, and, and mm -hmm. it takes – it's it's why anime is considered to be one of the the harder mediums to perform for, even though it's also one of the lowest paying forms of voiceover in the industry. Yeah, and I remember uh, growing up watching anime that what trying to watch you know dubs was a little bit tougher, just because so many actors had to try to match with and sync with the uh, the mouth movements or just 
Oh yeah, sprint. it's so it's so much easier now than it used to be because back then like 10, 15, 20 years ago you're talking about they were literally chasing like VHS tape. They were mm. they were chasing the tape and recording on that and if they needed to do it again, they just rewound the tape and they just had to make sure they started the right time. Nowadays with the advent of of more uh, modernized digital technology, you know, they still want you to be really close to the lip flaps because you can't really speed up or slow down a line more than 1 to 2% without it sounding really wonky, but as long as you're really close enough it, it's much much easier to just move the audio file over a couple frames it's mm-hmm. it's it's much simpler to line everything up than it used to be no i i it seems like it has a lot been a lot easier for voice actors to get in sync with characters now than back then mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and I, I agree with the you know it's I mean, it's obviously over overseas. It's a lot easier for them because they can record it first, and then they just sync it with them. Whereas, you know, here it becomes especially prevalent the, during scenes yeah. that have like, if you're just talking conversationally, it's easy enough to pace yourself. But if you're, for example, uh, there's a scene in ReZero where, <laughs> surprise, surprise, Subaru breaks down crying, and when you think about all the, what's the word? When you think about all the sporadic things that happen with crying. The sniffs, the the when you're when you're trying to talk but your throat is like clenched up and you can't get the words out, or when your voice kind of warbles because of how sad you feel. You know what I'm talking about. A lot of that you don't control; it just happens. But when you're in a booth and you're recording a character crying, you have to make it real, even though you have a very specific time frame to do it in. If the character sniffs, you have to sniff at the same exact time. If they're if they're voice wavers, you have to make it waver at the same time. But you can't make it sound fake because, especially with crying, there's no middle ground. Either it sounds real or it sounds really, really fake. Right. <laughs> so it's 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 difficult. It's really hard. It's, yeah, it's a lot of work for just to to do something that's already been made and they have to mimic it almost to, just to get it right. And I think a lot of people have to give you know a lot of credit to you guys to be able to get it down perfect and so much work I, to do I it. I honestly legitimately think the scenes where I had to be subdued and and like quietly, silently, privately crying were exponentially harder than the times where I had to scream at the top of my lungs. Because, yeah, when, when you're screaming, there's just one volume. It's as loud as possible, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're being furious. When you're crying and being quiet to yourself, you have to do all that while also not being so quiet that the mic doesn't pick you up because then it's a wasted take and you have to do it over again. Yeah, that would be a little rough, especially if you do 40 minutes of it and didn't realize you record it. <laughs> it's There is nothing more taxing than when you're you're pushing yourself to tears and you record your take and then you have to wait like a minute and a half while they put everything together before moving on. But the whole time you have to like keep keep the tears going. You're just kind of standing there in silence trying to make your make sure you're still crying because you don't want it to go from sounding real to sounding fake. Right. Even though you don't have anything to incentivize you. And your character that you're doing is a very emotional character too. So it'll be really oh interesting. Oh my goodness, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that why you're really excited about doing this character? I am. I am. I, I've been telling you, like, I've been hosting a miniature Ask Me Anything on Reddit right now, and what I've been telling people is, I, I'm not going to promise you that it's perfect. Like, I'm going to be upfront. This is, again, one of the largest challenges I've ever tackled in my career. Even though I knew I was prepared for it, even though I'd seen the show beforehand, I know that just the sheer 
amount of work it involved compared to my next biggest project, which probably was Trails of Cold Steel 2 because that was about, I would say, six to eight sessions, full-length sessions. Um, uh, it, it was so much more work that it's just – it's – naive to think that there wasn't going to be you know a case where maybe a weird read went through or there was just an off day where i was having a little more trouble than usual getting back into character but what i tell people is here's what i can promise i can promise you that i knew this show inside and out there wasn't a single time where something was happening in a scene and i was thinking what's going on here i'm not i'm not familiar with this part of the series i knew what was going on at all times i know that Every single scene that had any sort of emotional context, I was trying to apply it to moments in my life or even just my own enthusiasm for the series to to truly emotionally connect to the character um, and that there wasn't an ounce of me that wasn't invested there. I knew, similar to when I recorded for Breath of the Wild, there was not a single part of me that was not thinking about how big this show was in Japan and how big it would be for people to who were excited about the possibility of it getting a dub and even just how intense they knew a character like Subaru would be. And I went into the booth with that, that expectation, with that knowledge, and I told myself, I'm going to give it everything that I've got, even if it destroys me. Um, there is... There is <laughs> There's a particular scene in one episode where Subaru ends up in he's trapped in a water tornado and he's like glugging water and I actually should be in trouble for this because uh, it is not recommended to to go as far as like gargling actual water when trying to talk for a take because you could swallow it the wrong way and end up drowning Um, and I still did it because even knowing that it was a bad idea I still did it because in my head I thought. If, if Subaru is gargling water, if all he's doing is breathing in water, I want it to sound like he's breathing in water. And I was willing to take that risk um, just to make it sound that much more real. So even to the point of doing dangerous stuff, I was willing to make that commitment. And I hope that it shows through in the performance for better or for worse. So when is this, when is the dub series going to start, Aaron? It is my understanding that season one, part one, is due out sometime in the summer. And that's really all I know. Like, my my right. knowledge about the distribution schedule of this series started and ended as far as the recording process went. So what Funimation wants to do regarding a stream or a TV broadcast or a DVD release, I know just as much or as little as the next guy. So, right. so did yeah. you did you do all your recording already or are you still working on it? Um, uh, I'm not sure how I can answer that. I may have already, I, I, I know that, uh, Mami Okada posted recently on Twitter saying they finished the audio mix for ReZero. And I don't know if that means like season one, part one audio mix, or if that means more than that. Um, so I'm going to just play it safe and say, I, I, I can't give a concrete answer to that. Um, obviously some stuff has been recorded, um, the full amount of which I can't say, but I don't have reason to believe they wouldn't do the full series. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. Okay. I just, just on a personal level, I feel like ReZero is enough of a show or, or a big enough show that Funimation would not want to just do part of it. Um, and then not do the rest of it. So I'm, I'm fairly confident the full series is going to end up dubbed. Right. I, I think so. I think as well. And just from what I'm hearing about how, you know, much intent, you know, intensity you put into this one, you know, I'm comparing it to 
you know your other roles in, in video games this one's a lot different i mean you're just taking snippets of like here i have to say this part here this part here and it's not too much acting going i wouldn't say like i mean there's still acting involved but not as intense and you know emotionally as in a series like an animation i think i was actually lucky in that regard because subaru has so much involvement in this series like just on the level of how often he's in the scene that's happening there were cases where for a given number of episodes subaru's total number of lines for him for just him was higher than the combined total of every other character in those episodes um that's a lot and because of that it it was almost like any time that i recorded the episode it was just basically like watching the episode all over again because there wasn't really a lot of hop skipping around like okay we're done with this scene and now we're gonna jump to like five minutes later it was like all right we're done with this line now the next scene or the next time that he speaks is less than 15 seconds away from here so being able to go through it chronologically all over again made it not as difficult to keep pace with what was happening scene by scene. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So with that, in, so we're going to go into... Yeah. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, Yeast 8. Oh, uh, Lacrimosa of Donna. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, there was a re-recording on the the voices they went back mm-hmm. and they did redo the transition you know translation mm-hmm. and now i know a lot of this doesn't really happen very often and was quite actually quite surprised that this was called out for mm-hmm. and so i actually applaud you know uh nis america to actually come back and say we're going to redo this right and do it correctly yeah. now mm-hmm. were you kind of worried that you weren't going to get the part back for hamill or so okay I wouldn't say that I was worried. Like, obviously, I would love to come back and reprise the character, but I also acknowledge that nothing in this industry is ever guaranteed. Like, with the Powerpuff Girls reboot, you know, the original voice actresses weren't invited back. With Metal mm-hmm. Gear Solid Five, David Hayter didn't return as Snake. True. Um, so it's never, it's never a guarantee that you'll return as character. Like, even though people have been like, we'd love, we can't wait to hear you as Reen in Cold Steel 3, even though I voiced him in, in 1 and 2, there's no part of me that's saying, oh, it's a shoe in that I'm going to get to voice Reen in 3. You just don't know. So I don't let, I don't let it bother me and I don't think about it because if it happens it's going to happen and if it doesn't there wasn't really anything i could do to to force it to does that make sense no it makes sense um, I mean, when it, what it i was happen, it's like a what i present. was worried about was if i'd be able to do the same voice because <laughs> when i first recorded for east eight i actually was still getting over a fever that i had contracted i had flown out to i think like indiana or something like that for uh, my brother-in-law's wedding um, and flown back, and I caught something on the way back. So my voice was, it wasn't, like, terrible, but it had, like, that kind of my, I'm still recovering from a cold raspiness to it. Mm-hmm. And it actually worked really well for Hummel because Hummel is, like, really quiet, and he keeps to himself, and he's got a, kind of, like, that edgelord personality to him. So having that rasp allowed me to, I was still able to talk in a higher register in my younger pitch, but still have that kind of like cool Steve Bloom, badass sort of, of grunge to it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And it came at a cost. Like by the time I was done with that session, I had actually completely destroyed my throat and it took two weeks for it to fully recover. Mm. Um, 
but it sounded good as a result of it. Like I knew it wasn't a voice that would have been easy to do when I was well, and that's why they tell you don't record when you're sick because it's a completely different sound from when you're healthy. Yeah. So I was really scared that when I came back, you know, it wasn't like I was going to be sick again and that I wasn't going to be able to, to properly uh, replicate that, 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 that grunge, that gravel that Hummel had. Um, but I think I managed to pull it off. I think when, when I, when I came back, uh, now that I knew the character better since I'd literally gone through all of his lines and I, I really knew more about his motivation and his background, I was able to, um, I was able to just play it, pull it back and let, let my voice fall closer into my throat and just let like, let more of the vibration of, of, uh, have pushing it into my throat, having all the air come from my trachea, um, rather than in my head, uh, let that do the, the vibrato for me. And I think it, I was able to successfully replicate that, that mysterious side to him, uh, despite not being sick to my guts, but I am grateful that I was invited back, but more so I was grateful that I was able to keep faithful to the voice that I'd done the first time around. Nice. And I can understand that how, when you have a different voice to it unexpectedly like that with a cold uh, consistency is huge in this industry i'm not i'm not gonna jump back to re-zero for very long but just like keeping consistent of a character voice for 25 episodes Mm -hmm. even just for a re-recording of of an east video game i didn't want it to be a sudden change where people said oh i liked this better the first time around why is it worse so i was very very focused on giving them the same quality of last time just with the new content was it much of a difference on Yeez 8 compared to the different trans uh, translations that you adjusted do you recall mm. you mean like did i notice an obvious difference in yeah. the text yeah not really but that's just because when you keep busy you don't really have the time or the memory space to remember exactly what you said at the session um In fact, a lot of actors joke that if you honestly don't remember what was happening, then you probably did a good job because it means you were out of your head and and doing, you know, becoming the character instead of being yourself performing the character. Um, And it means you weren't like deliberate or uh, uh, overthinking every single line and practicing it over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, So, no, I didn't I didn't really. It just felt like I it felt like I was coming in for the first time. And I just uh, maybe there were some scenes that I recognized for specific events. But otherwise, it was just, hey, here's Hummel and here's what he says. So do your thing. Okay, well, that's uh, that's actually not a bad way to think of it, too. Just come in as if you are the character and. It also helps because with video games, you typically don't actually see the scenes where it's happening. Like with anime, I'm seeing the stuff on screen. So if I see what's happening, I'm going to remember what these characters said at this point in time. But when you're recording for a video game, you just see a crap load of lines, sometimes just you, sometimes the whole scene with all the characters talking. But you don't have a visual to put to it. So it's very, very difficult to remember at what part of the game this occurs in. Yeah, especially with a lot of the role-playing games for Japan, there are a lot more stills and illustrated so the only thing they change is the visual you know appearances like you know mm-hmm. some look like they're angry they're sad different yep. emotions and it's i'm surprised you don't really see that when you record there was i remember a funny a funny occasion recording for trails of cold steel 2 where the entire page in front of me on the projector was just 12 different lines of dot 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 
That's that's what the line said was dot dot dot, and the line below that said dot dot dot, and the line below that said dot dot dot, because they were all different versions of speechlessness. There was, you know, there was the uh, the pondering. Hmm. There was the surprised. Uh, there was the uh, despondent sigh. You know, just kind of like just all these different facets, but you can't really put words to them on the script. You have to describe it at the session. So I got to take a photo. It's just like in today's studio session. And it's just all, it's not even words. It's just dot, dot, dot all down the page. Do they, and they tell you right up front, like how, how they wanted to sound. Right. Right. They'll give you the emotional context, but you don't know where in the game these are going to be used. Right. They just need the, the piece so they can plug it into the game. Right, right, right. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Literally. That, <laughs> you, you are doing exactly what I was doing in the studio. Like, I should jump, maybe I should jump into voice acting right now. <laughs> hmm. 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 Maybe you should. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should just retire right now. <laughs> it was it was the it was the shortest known career of any man to date. I hope I get a little word for this sometime soon. So, you've worked with Square Enix uh, recently, and you worked with Nintendo. Any any big differences between the two companies in recording? Surprisingly, it's anticlimactic because to and the answer to that is anticlimactic because when when we say we worked with Square Enix or we worked with Nintendo, mm-hmm. it's not to the degree of hey, you know, I went into Nintendo's HQ and met Reggie Fizeme and you know recorded in this booth with like the head the the studio head and like Miyamoto watching me and guiding me. No, it was hey, you know, Formosa or or Bang Zoom said you got cast for this role and I showed up and they had one or two representatives from the company just to make sure that everything was on spec and that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing but otherwise it was me and the same old director the same old sound engineer and we're just doing our thing <laughs> so yeah we we don't get nearly as involved with the company as people think I imagine if it's like a huge company like Disney that they are going to have you come to their place, their headquarters, their studio, and they're going to direct you every step of the way because this is a like multi-billion dollar branding that you are representing. But for for a game, for a single game, for a smaller company like that, um, comparatively, it's it's generally just the same same routine, different people. Right. It's, yeah. Right. Just go to the studio, give me the recording, send it over. Okay, we're good. Yep. Huh. Easy peasy, I, guess. I know, I know. It's not, it's not very exciting, but no, but it just, it, it just feeds into the quote of you have to be in this for the love of it, not for the fame, because it's the actual process isn't all that special. It's I came here to do my job. Right. And that's the thing, though. That's why I think a lot of people need to know that is, you know, everybody thinks, oh, it's you know, it's Nintendo, oh, it's Square Enix, that's this, this, this. You must have flown out there to do recording, and you just nope. said, no, not really. Nope. I mean, that's why I have to live here. If you want to do the work, you have to be where the work is. If I were still living in Michigan, I would not have had any of these opportunities because there's already hundreds of talent in the area who all want to do this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to kid myself. There's probably plenty of people who have a similar voice range to me who the company would just be as happy using. So... No, I, like I, for example, there were there were people who were kind of in a tiff because like the recording group for the game Danganronpa was not the same as the recording cast for the anime of Danganronpa. Yeah. Um, 
And that's just because Funimation got the licensing rights to the animation. It's like Funimation's not going to want to fly people out from Los Angeles. I mean, if they're really big celebrities like Bryce Pappenbrook or Todd Habercorn or Vic Mignogna, then yeah, maybe for the the star power they want to do that. But mm. just in general, if if they do it, if Texas gets the rights, they're going to want to use Texas talent. It's just easier on everybody. They, it's less money. They don't have to fly everyone out. Everyone's local. They can drive to the studio. It's it's common sense. Yeah, it's 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 you know like you said, it's budget wise. I can get somebody local to do the same thing that you know somebody in California can do. Yeah. Now, speaking of which, I know you know just dabbing into the you know a lot of the community kind of going on with uh, voice actors and. It's interesting to see that you guys you somewhat talk to each other through social media, but yet, not you know, you don't really talk too much. Uh, you know, like hey, I know you from you know doing Secret of Mana or right, whatnot. But I are you saying like sorry? Are you are you saying in regards to talking between colleagues or from fans to professionals? No, different colleagues. Okay. Uh, sorry. Clarify for me. I guess so, I I was so like for example like. You know, you've talked to other colleagues, you know, that mm-hmm. you've worked with. Well, I wouldn't say work with, because you guys end up doing your own voices at separate times. Right. But you, you know, recognize each other through social media. Now, you don't really talk to each other, you know, at the studio or somewhere or anywhere no, outside of social no. media. Yeah, definitely not. Like, like I said, unless it's Western prelay animation, we are always typically recording on our own. And all we hear of each other's work is what happens to maybe already have been recorded in the scene that we're now working on. Um, part of the pain of waiting for ReZero to release is I want to know how everyone sounds put together. Mm-hmm. Like, if I can feel that good about certain scenes that I did in terms of performing a Subaru, it makes me excited to think, like, well, what's it going to sound like when everybody's in there? But I don't know. I don't know what anyone else sounded like when they performed, and I'm not going to know until it's it's live. And so it can be really limiting because it's really hard to get excited over a show or a game when when I when I say to get excited, I mean like in conversations that we have privately between when we've recorded and when the project actually releases when it goes public. But there's not much that you can say when nobody knows what it sounds like, you know? Right. Um, and so, and as I might have said previously, because there's not much to say, I've always had this mentality of, unless you have a good reason to be talking to someone, it, they've probably got their own stuff to focus on. They're either working on a workshop or practicing their craft, or maybe they're working on another project. It's not really worth taking up their time out of their schedule with idle conversation. So I typically tend to keep to myself. It's a different story with fans, because fans want to talk about stuff that you've been in in the past. You know, <laughs> Maybe it's different with colleagues because colleagues, they want to push for the future. They want to work on new stuff. They want to talk about stuff that they're actively working on. You know, I, I'm still cool with, like, talking about my role as Diabelle and Sorted Online, but that was a long time ago. You know, I, I've gotten better. I've improved. So I'm more than happy to, to geek out about it with fans. But with colleagues, it's just sort of we want to support each other in the present. We want to help each other focus on the now and the new opportunities that are coming in. Um, and it doesn't really leave a lot of room to constantly reflect on the past. Right, right. And I've noticed that you've talked to, you know, once in a while you'll talk to, you know, Kira Buckland or mm-hmm. uh, I think in once in a while Tom Bro- um, Boyer. and Tom what, Bauer? That is, I'm, I'm butchering their last name. It's I fine. Apologize. And then uh, Joe, I think it's Joe Horrendous. 
Joe Hernandez, yes. Hernandez. He was actually a closer colleague than usual because for a period of about four or five months, I actually worked at uh, uh, California Adventure over at Disneyland as a member of the Turtle Talk crew. Um, and Joe Hernandez and Tom Bauer actually were also members there. So I, I interacted with them on a near daily basis. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, even even like with Joe, the fact that we were on Breath of the Wild together, which was a huge role, um, it's it's cool, and and we like to interact with fans as a group in that context. But I don't really think we've spent a lot of time talking privately to each other about it. Right. So it's just no. it's just the way things are. I'm not mad about it. I'm not bitter about it, and I'm not like. Uh, I don't wish that there were more opportunities. It's just it's just how things are. No, it's totally understandable. I mean, you know, you you, you kind of have your own life you got to take care of. So I mean, it, so does everybody else. Yep. Now you, I, I can tell you're really interactive with the fans, especially with their own, you know, crafted items and and whatnot. Like you know, for example, Christine got a Chris on you know custom amiibos, mm-hmm. and then she's you know doing a few other things you've uh, inquired her about, and then there's other, you know plushes and let's say, I don't know I don't know if you've ever got a seen a blanket or something but <laughs> <laughs> like a custom made blanket yeah that'd be interesting wouldn't it I don't think it's gone that far but I wouldn't put it I I would not put it past someone to be doing that I know that there's someone who's doing like uh actually no I think there is there's someone either doing like custom blankets or kind of like half blankets like like napping blankets or something like that or maybe it was handkerchiefs. I don't remember. But I, you name a, you name an item, and I guarantee you, someone is doing custom uh, orders of it. Probably like a Ravali of a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably find this out after the recording. I know. <laughs> I'm interested to see if there is one. What, I feel like the Ravali blanket would be too thin, though. It would feel like I was just wrapping myself in a ghost. <laughs> It doesn't have to be a Ravali. It could be any of the other characters. Maybe it's Hamill. Mm, cast blanket. Or, nice and warm and snuggly. There you go. Now, you've... Okay, you... Because you're from Michigan. So mm-hmm. am I. And you grew up in Saginaw. Graduated from Western Michigan University. Right around the Kalamazoo area. For those you stalker. Know. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> I'm just trying to do my homework, sir. <laughs> And then you've uh, moved out to California to pursue your career. Um, mm-hmm. The transition from going from Michigan to California, how tough was that? So I feel like it might have been easier for me than most. Um, okay. The reason being because I had kind of already known what I wanted to do by the time I went into college. So I was able to direct all my focus onto that. And because I, again, I tend to be a lone wolf and I, I spend a lot of time entertaining myself rather than relying on others. Um, I was able to direct more focus onto building my freelance career. Um, so by the time I left college, I had kind of already gotten used to doing freelance orders and I had saved up money and I was grateful enough to like, you know, have already have my own car and, uh, have all of my college, um, expenses paid off. So when I moved out to California, I didn't have anything draining my funds. I was able to focus it all into affording rent and affording workshops and stuff like that. And uh, again, keeping to myself a lot also meant that um, I had online friends, which wasn't going to suddenly change by moving to California. They were still going to be available online. And I was more easily able to just put my set my sights on establishing myself in this new state, in this new industry. I, I don't want to say it like 
I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, but I'm kind of glad I didn't have a lot of very deep ties in Michigan just because it didn't lead to a feeling of loneliness when I went to California. Yeah. Um, it was lonely at first just because I still I needed to start from scratch and make new connections, but the impact wasn't as hard as I imagine it might be for some people. Right. Um, and I'm still grateful that in the time that I've been here that I have made new relationships and I've made incredibly fruitful and meaningful relationships, not just with colleagues but with, with friends who uh, don't actively follow what I do but know what I do and support it. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was just as stressful as as anything else. Maybe it was a little bit easier in terms of finances, but uh, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I still had to put in a lot of work. I, I actually think I don't give myself enough credit sometimes. I, I like to assume that I had things too easy, if that makes sense, like that I didn't struggle as much as people are supposed to. Mm-hmm. But the fact remains that you don't book the roles you don't audition for. You have to go to the workshops to network with the clients. You still have to actually perform the role and do a good job because no amount of sound editing can fix a bad performance um, or, or a bad delivery. So. Right. Yeah, it's 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 the output is or the the re- end result is still the same. I still have to put in the time. I still have to put in the effort. I still have to be consistent. And it's no different now than it was when I first moved out. Moved out. The only difference now is that I have more clients and more, uh, excuse me, opportunities to audition, which means I'm I have to apply what I've learned more frequently. Now, you I saw some clip uh, of you at Anime Expo. Mm-hmm. Was this before or after you moved out from Michigan? Uh, for the AX Idol competition? Yeah. That was <laughs> that was right after my freshman year of college. And wow. so when I won, I, it was actually the first time I had ever been at an anime convention, period. Um, and when I won, obviously BangZoom was like, hey, let us know when you're going to be in the area so that we can do your general demo and like we can give you a tour of the studio. And I had to tell them, Hey, I've still got three years to uh, to finish college before I'm going to be moving out, and it led to me having a serious. At the time, it was serious discussion about you know, Bang Zoom wants to know when I'm going to be in the area. This is the first time that I've done something like performing for an anime. This is everything I've I've dreamed for, and now it's right in front of me. Should I stop my college education and just chase this? You know, should I should I take the risk and go out there? And what ultimately led to me choosing to stay and finish college was mostly the fact that I had a very nice scholarship paying for well over 50% of my total expenses there. And there was no, there was literally no way I would ever get that scholarship back if uh, I went back at a later date. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I really did want to, to make good on this sudden connection, on this sudden interest but I elected to finish my education and get the degree. I told myself, once you get to the, the degree, you never have to worry about it again versus, you know, always wondering, should I go back and finish this? Should I have gone back and done it? You know, when should I make the time for this? Um, am I going to have to start all over? Like, are any of my credits going to transfer? Right. And now that I'm deeper in the industry, it's kind of like, wow, what I, I honestly feel like if I had chased the audition with Bang Zoom at that time, I would have severely regretted it. Not because... You know, uh, just because in the grand scheme of things, and I'm not saying this to discredit any company, but a single general demo or an anime project in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge deal. It's, 
you know, my my legacy right now as a voiceover artist is a culmination of my entire body of work and all the clients that I've worked for and not just a single job. Like even ReZero is not going to be the make or break of my career, mm-hmm. even though it could certainly help it. So to have thrown away my my college progress for the sake of what may have likely just been, you know, a background role in an upcoming anime would have been a very naive decision. And I am I am glad that I chose to finish my education because when I moved out to California, the company was still there. And as long as I was still practicing and improving myself, it's not like I wasn't going to have another chance to perform for them because if you're good enough, they'll notice. So, Yeah, it seems like uh, having a piece of paper seems to help at times. Uh, that's that's debatable. I still don't know like how useful the degree has been. I don't know if it's directly had any impact on my career, but I will say that not having to think about it is a relief. It's one less thing on my mind, mm-hmm. and I am grateful for the classes I got to take as a result of it. Like even you know my experience with the Japanese minor obviously helped with understanding honorifics and the syllables and stuff like that. Um, my psychology minor was extremely helpful in understanding myself as a person and just how how people as individuals work because no matter what industry you're in, voiceover or something else, mm-hmm. you're going to have to work with other people. And if you don't know how to work with other people, you're going to have a really hard time getting anywhere. No, I thought um, about communication as well. Yes. <laughs> I, I have... I have mixed feelings on the aspect of communication in the voiceover industry. I am so grateful for my colleagues and I'm so grateful for the opportunities, but I can't help but feel like there's parts of this industry that never really went past the high school gossip phase. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there are a lot of cases where feuds between actors or, or just any of this drama that happens becomes... It comes about as a result of two things. It comes about of one, obviously the initial the initial miscommunication, um, but more importantly, two, this resistance to talking things out like adults. I I notice that there's there's a lot of cases where people feel slighted or offended by something another actor or a client did or something they said, but they never really talk to the person that offended them. They don't make the effort to go and say, hey, I wanted you to know that what you did or what you said really didn't sit well with me, um, and, and I wanted you to acknowledge that and apologize. And I feel like that's that's the crux of it. I it's hard for me to get into this. Like I don't I don't want to disparage anyone, but I really feel like there needs to be a more mature approach in this industry. And I feel like so many petty problems would be solved if people just took responsibility for when they did something that was less than professional. But more importantly, if, if people would bother to approach them when they did something that was less than professional, I know for a fact that there's people in this industry who don't think very highly of me. And to this day, I don't know why. And I have guesses as to why, but it's not like I can approach them and ask because they want nothing to do with me. And there's no way I'll know for sure if they don't come to me and tell me. And I'd be the first person to apologize and say, hey, I had no idea that what I did or what I said affected you in that way. I'm really sorry, but I can't do anything if I'm not made aware of it. Um, and I, it feels like there's a lot of people who would rather just hold grudges and assume that the person didn't say anything or didn't apologize because they don't care 
rather than just simply not knowing. So I, I hope that changes. I want that to change, and I, I want to be an example of a person that is, A, willing to be accountable when he does something that people are unsure about, but also can actually go to peers and let them know when he's worried about something they did without worrying about burning a bridge in the network because everyone's supposed to play nice and they all have to say nice things about each other and ignore the bad moments that happen. No, and I think just even... You know, like you, that kind of reminds me of, you know, when you said, you know, burning bridges to kind of keep, you know, you obviously want to keep a good connection with everyone. But I mean, there's times where you're not going to get along with somebody, but it doesn't mean you, like, you can't just be, oh, I don't, I don't know, maybe have to burn the bridge or not talk to you at all. I mean, it's, it's, I understand why people are afraid is because everyone knows everybody else in this industry. And if, if you, if you speak out against someone, you don't know how they're going to respond to that. You don't know if they're going to just take it as a, well, if this person's going to call me out, then I want nothing to do with them. And, and I'm going to make sure none of my friends want to work with them either. And that fear of, of standing up or saying something and then effectively locking yourself out of future work opportunities because of it is it's mortifying. It's terrifying. And I, I think it plays a big role into why a lot of people keep silent. And right. it's just, I hate that feeling. I hate it so much. Well, especially if you can work it out. And then, not only that, though, but if you take it, you know, if it ends up getting somewhere, you know, this is where social media be, kind of becomes a little dangerous is when yeah. you bring it online, like, say, Twitter or anywhere you know, you're going to get more and more people. I've, I've had people say to my, I've had people say my face, I, I'm not going to name names, but there was one time when I, I actually went to a person and said, Hey, I don't want to make a public deal out of this, but I just want you to know that I'm kind of worried about how you handled this situation. And I'd really appreciate it if you could clear it up so that people don't interpret it the wrong way and think that I'm a bad person because of something I never did. Mm -hmm. Um, and their response to me, to me was what other people think of you is none of your concern. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like, how are you supposed to respond to that? That is a very good question. And say, okay, well, tally ho, I guess. Tally, literally, like, I to this day, I haven't responded to that because I don't know what you're supposed to say. Like, if I, and again, the fear plays into that. If I were to go online and say, hey, I want to clear up the situation because I feel like this person handled it really unprofessionally. Now I'm opening this big can of worms that right. no one cared about in the first place. Am I going to just come off looking like an entitled whiny brat? So yeah, I think it's it rough. It, well, I think maybe even at those kind of times, you just, you know, I think you just wait, you know. You just all you can do is focus on being the best person that you can be so that if people hear certain stories about you that they have other stories to bring up and be like, well, that seems strange for him because I heard that he also did this and it doesn't seem like him to be that way. So mm -hmm. I, I, I just don't have the time. No one has the time and energy to focus on defending themselves against the negative they have to all they can do is be accountable for the stuff that's true mm -hmm. and otherwise focus on being the best person that they can be. Right. No, I agree. So we're going to. Sorry, I didn't mean to make like no. a 15 minute conversation no, no, on like no, a no. really dark and negative aspect of the industry. No, it's OK. I mean, I think it's good for, you know, for people to kind of get a can get a kind of a taste of uh, like voice acting. And I think it's important for it to be acknowledged. I think yes. I think as uncomfortable. I think the, the sheer fact of because it's uncomfortable is why it needs to be discussed because it's a fact it's a part of the industry and and part of being successful in this industry is knowing how to carefully navigate it without putting your your career in jeopardy over it mm -hmm. um and it's one of those those hidden 
struggles that that people don't recognize that they're going to have to deal with. So, yeah. No, I mean, there's always going to be a touchy subject, you know, in a conversation. I mean, I've it's it's gonna it's gonna pop up. It's gonna happen. But that's the beauty of it. Is that yeah? So moving on. <laughs> <laughs> and moving on to the next thing. Uh, so you are a huge Mega Man fan. <laughs> I assume you saw Mega Man 11. Tim Curry laugh. <laughs> so I assume you saw the new Mega Man 11 uh, trailer oh for this. So, okay. Your thoughts on so that? So I'm, like anybody else, I am, I am, I am side-eyeing it with wary enthusiasm because... You never know, like trailer trailers and demos are way easier to make look pretty than the actual mm-hmm. polished game. Square can tell but that. I know of of three things. One, it's a new Mega Man game, and I'm glad that he still exists. Two, the the interviews that I've seen of the creative team, I genuinely feel like they actually care about who Mega Man is as an icon and as a character, and that's kind of what's giving me faith. And three, that trailer music was bomb ass amazing. Oh, I know. I'm in. Tr- I know you were network, asking for it. You're asking network for transmission. Network transmission for the GameCube was a game that not many people remember. But it had really good music tracks and possibly like one of the most exciting, adventurous, invigorating uh, internet themes that I'd ever like the general overworld theme when you go into the internet and the like the LAN ACDC whatever mm-hmm. area. It was it was fun and I loved listening to it and it was it was peppy and hype and technological and and that's something I've always cherished about Mega Man games. It's just how how interesting they can be. The Battle Network series is what introduced me to the concept of dissonant tones, uh, notes or or uh, uh, musical elements that don't play from both sides of the speakers at the same time. They may switch between left and right, and it drove me nuts in the best way. It was so cool, like just hearing you know these 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 notes like switching in between the left and right speakers and 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 moving around in your head, so to speak. So getting back to Mega Man Eleven, feeling that way about the music made me uh, enthusiastic for the potential that the whole soundtrack could be like this. Because Mega Man started as much as a music showcase as it was a game mm-hmm. you know, th- from the thematic elements from rock and roll and bass and treble um, uh, to to just how the early games define themselves music was an integral part and to feel that good about the music from just the trailer gives me a lot of hope for the full game right and it seems like the they're actually listening and wanting to make at least a good game you know, ever since uh, it's been such a long absence, and then you know, it right. came out to Smash Brothers, and never. It doesn't just... have to be groundbreaking. It just has to be fun. Yeah. You don't. I don't. I don't need all of these new mechanics, and I'm. I'm, I'm not going to be bothered if they do include the mechanics. I'm just saying I don't need them. I. I don't need like all these fancy, you know, boss gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Just make it fun for me to play, and that's all I need. And that's what Sonic Mania when that came out. I mean, I was. Really it was about that. it was fun gameplay and heartfelt references. Yes. That's at its core. That's what it was. It was it was fun callbacks to old stuff without just being the same old. And mm. and it was it was love. It was a game 
made out of love, and people loved it because of that. Oh yeah, and now seeing hopefully with that with Mega Man, it's we're like we're living back in the nineties. That's really what that's really what will define it is whether it's a game made to impress or a game made to entertain. If they make it, if they make it to give it fancy graphics and try and make it look visually impressive, it's just gonna the the show is gonna wear off once people actually play it because. When you're when you're playing it, you're not really looking at the backgrounds. You're not looking at like the the gleam of the metal off of the characters' chassis. Mm. You're just playing a game, and if the game is fun, that's what you're going to remember. Crystal Chronicles hasn't aged that well, but people still love it because of the co-op aspect and just the sense of adventure. They don't think about the quality; they think about the memory. Right. No, I totally agree. So, top three Mega Man games. Hmm. <sighs> Mega Man Battle Network 3, doesn't matter which version, Mega Man Legends slash Mega Man 64, and those first two are obvious. I gotta think of the third one. I don't know. Give me a second, because I wasn't really I wasn't really big on the X series, or I hadn't played enough of the X series for it to matter. You know what? I would say network transmission. Um, okay. So Bang Man Battle Network 3 is because I made an extensive post on Tumblr ranking each of the Battle Network games, but... Network 3 was really where everything reached an apex. It was, by by number 2, they had introduced new concepts and they'd improved on ones from the first game in the series, which you can't, you can't crap on the first game so much because they were making something brand new for its time. Mm-hmm. They were going with a brand new battle mechanic. They were, trying, they were trying something new, and even though there was stuff that could be abused or flaws in the system, to come up with that from scratch is still really respectable. But by three, they had refined these mechanics. They had they had perfected the stuff from number one and further refined the new mechanics from number two to something that, that just made sense in three. And between the mechanics, the post-game, the side quests, the, the atmosphere, the story in general, Battle Network 3 truly felt like they, they had finished grasping what a, a modern-day internet-focused... Mega Man game would be like and what its story would be like and they just ran with it and it became its own entity um, and I feel like after that point 4, 5 and 6 they tried different stories and they tried different mechanics and they tried different gimmicks to keep it fresh but it was 3 where everything just came together and it existed does that make sense? No I think it does and it wasn't yeah, it wasn't there to represent a brand. It wasn't there to to showcase a new idea. It was just a game, and it was a game that did so much right. And it 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 was for people who had been veterans. It was a nice experience of everything coming together after being refined. Mm-hmm. And for newcomers to the series, it was in depth without being overwhelming and that's why it's special to me and that's what reminded me of because i would i grew up a lot with the uh with the x series mm-hmm. and i remember playing the first one to i don't know until there was nothing left and the second and third one were great but then you know i played four mostly but then after that it started to trail off just because of mm-hmm. the direction they were going with and i think i can kind of <laughs> I, I i don't know why i mean it's just what they were trying to do, it just like it was, a, it was a cut and paste. Let's try make them in 3D. Let's try. I don't know how many times you have right. to Sigma Sigma back. 
Right. So they got a little old and dried pretty quick after the, after four. Just three had so much going for it. It had the refined mechanics. It had an incredible soundtrack. It had mm-hmm. night and, and it had an extensive post game so that you had stuff to work towards. It was just a thorough experience. Like by the time you're done with it and done with everything in the game, you put it down, you close your eyes and you go, that was an experience. That's going to stay with me. Um, so that's why it, it's, that's my number one. Mega Man 64, um, there's a couple different reasons why it's important to me. Maybe it wasn't as perfect as Mega Man Battle Network, but for its time, like for the era in which uh, that game came out, the voiceover performances in it were were great. You know? Sure, they had an anime quality to it, but for a game like that, you know, anime enthusiasm or anime exaggeration is kind of okay. Mm-hmm. And the cast were like so immersed in their characters and I'm extremely picky about who voices Mega Man. I'm so grateful that we've had people like Mark Gatha for Mega Man X and Corey Sivir. I, I don't know if it's Sivir or Saver or whatever, but Corey brought an authentic, young, confident, but, but, but innocent, uh, tone to, to Mega Man Volnut that just worked. It worked so well. And, and, I remember Juno, the the final boss. Juno was the first example of a villain who was clearly, you know, had had big aspirations. Obviously, had a very uh, not okay worldview. Like I need to eradicate, you know, these life forms so that the island doesn't get overpopulated. But he wasn't shouty about it. He was always calm and and methodical and just concrete in his decisions he didn't he didn't go off on a rampage and hearing that creepy calmness was brand new to me i'd never heard anything like it before it wasn't your saturday morning bombastic robotnik style delivery it was it was this guy knows what he's gonna do and if i don't stop him he's gonna kill everyone and that was scary um um and hearing hearing especially when he went into are you familiar did you play through Mega Man legends I only played part of it, and my younger brother actually really enjoyed it. So I would, I would right. always watch him playing it. Hearing such a calm voice become attached to a giant hulking robot mm-hmm. with arms bigger than your entire body yeah. is terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> um, so, so just the voice cast in that was surprisingly good. Obviously, having Mega Man in 3D was was an adventure. I, I just it was a good memory. It was it was, and now that I'm a voiceover artist, I have even more reasons to be attached to it. Mm-hmm. And then Mega Man Network Transmission is just filling in the third slot. It's not nearly as extensive, but great soundtrack. I really liked seeing all the battle chips from the Battle Network series be transferred into 3D versions. Um, maybe it wasn't like a super polished game, and it was definitely like a fill-in game in between entries of the series, but it was still fun. I still, I still enjoyed it, and sometimes saying this game is number three just because I had a lot of fun playing it—that's that's all you need. Yeah, and you don't, and I mean, with a lot of the, you know, the work you've been doing, I mean, you don't have a lot of time to even play anything new or even go back. I have to such a once. huge backlog. Um, yeah. I'm a crazy big fan of Demon Gaze, and when I learned that Demon Gaze Two was going to be localized, I was so enthusiastic. But by the time Demon Gaze Two came out. I couldn't play it right away because I had to finish, um, uh, what was it I was going to play before Demon Gaze 2? I don't remember, but it was like, I couldn't play Demon Gaze 2 until I beat Monster Hunter Stories. But I couldn't finish Monster Hunter Stories because I was working on another game at the time. So after I beat that, oh, it, maybe it was like 
uh, Operation Babel or, or something like that. So I finished Monster Hunter Stories, and then I finally finished Demon Gaze 2. So now I'm allowed to finally play Etrian Odyssey 5, almost five months after it came out. But after I finish Etrian Odyssey 5, I've got Mary Skelter waiting because I want to play a dungeon crawler that I actually voiced in since that's been a dream of mine. And then after Mary Skelter comes uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Sky because I can't start Super Mystery Dungeon until I finish the post game. Um, and then I want to do this, the Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga remake that came out. My backlog is like five or six games long, and it just keeps getting added to. <laughs> no, I, and I completely understand that. My, that's like that. I'm looking at my library now. I'm like, oh, I'm shaking my head. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get to these. And yep. uh, you said Mary. Uh, it's interesting you say Mary Skelter because I did remember playing that, and I just saw that they were going to make a sequel to that. Are they? Yes. They was I, I was reading a feed last night, and it says it looks like it's going to be happening. Uh, I think it's going to be for the PS4. Okay. As far as I know, uh, there was going to be more announcements later on. Hmm. Well, I'm super happy to hear that. Hopefully I enjoy the original game. I, I, I've, uh, I played about halfway through, and it was actually pretty fun. I've I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what to expect, because, like, obviously I loved... I love the Etrian Odyssey series. I love the skill trees, and I love the way the battle mechanics work. Mm. I thought I would be able to enjoy Persona Q because it was Etrian Odyssey meets Persona, but I, mm. I didn't because the the dungeon crawling was Etrian Odyssey-esque, but the character building and skill building was very, very Persona, and I, I can't, I couldn't be enthusiastic about the way the demon fusing in that works. So if Mary Skelter is kind of similar where... It really depends on how the character growth works. If they learn skills at certain levels, or if there's a skill tree of something like or something like that, I'll probably have fun. But I feel like how the battle system works and how the grow the character leveling system works is going to play a big part in whether or not I'm able to stay enthusiastic about the game. No, and I I'd agree with that. That's why uh, when I think of games like Final Fantasy Tactics, I had a lot of fun with that because I could get all these different classes. I could level them up. They can learn certain things. And I would go after the summoner like early in the first chapter just because I wanted to get summon Bahamut, you know, right at the get go in the mm -hmm. first and just mm -hmm. beat the crap out of it. But um, Mary Skelter, you know, thinking back, uh, I know like you could change, like, there's different classes and so okay. their outfits changes. There's, you know, weapon upgrades. I can't remember if, this, if there was like certain skills you learn as you go. I think there was. And you can okay. equip them. But I, I do remember that when you gain enough, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. Like I said, it's been a while. You right. Do, you know, the different classes, the different outfits. And just the what I liked about it a lot was just the the names they were using. Like there's, you know, Snow White. There was Rapunzel. Oh, yeah. Those were, that was a really interesting twist on how they did that. So, yeah. I'm excited to try it out when the time comes. I'm sure you're – and you've been uh, – I know uh, I was looking at your website and you had a uh, – you know, just for fun, of uh, Sora. <laughs> the wait, you mean like the Kingdom Hearts audio yeah, thing that I did? The, yep. <laughs> shout outs to shout outs to Sung Won Cho because he definitely did something similar to that first. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got inspiration from him, even though what I did was was its own unique thing. I didn't just rip the script off of him. But um, yeah, I'm I'm not. <laughs> I know my wife is excited for Kingdom Hearts 3, but I have not touched the series at all. <laughs> at is that, all. Is that at something all. you would end up, you know, getting into or 
You're just gonna you're just gonna watch. If I had the time, the problem yeah. is like people are like, "What did you think when you played through Breath of the Wild?" And I have to tell them, <laughs> I haven't even touched Breath of the Wild. Like I have the master edition of the of the master edition box, the special super super special edition, and I haven't I haven't opened it because the reason why I have such a big backlog is around Twilight Princess is when I started like starting games and then not finishing them, mm-hmm. and I told myself that had to stop. So I said, I am not going to start a game unless I'm ready to commit to finishing it and I'm not going to start a new game up to, until I finish the previous one. So like since I started Etrian Odyssey 5, <coughs> that has been the only game that I have played. I mean, I'll do like Smash Wi-Fi just for fun, but in terms of like playing through a game for the story, Etrian 5 has been the only game that I've played for the last 2 or 3 weeks. Um and I'm close to being done. I'm in the post game, I'm in the final stratum, I'm working towards the final super boss, but until I am done 100% done with that game, I'm not going to move on to the next one. And when you take a mentality like that and you apply it to something like Breath of the Wild, yeah, which good luck. <laughs> maybe 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 I'm not going to go I'm not going to go for all 900 Korok seeds. I don't care about that. Right. But I am definitely someone who enjoys tackling a challenge and figuring out how to overcome it and getting that 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 dopamine reward for figuring out a solution even if it wasn't the intended one. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of having 120 plus shrines with their own puzzles to overcome independently separate from the main story itself? Huh. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah. There's no way. No. There's I'm, no way. That's why you see. No, I think that's why you don't see a lot of people really quite beating it fast enough, unless they're. I'll uh, sit in on a stream and I'll commentate and I'll enjoy you going through the shrines with you, but yeah. I don't think there's a lifetime in my life that I'm going to be able to to tackle that game, and it sucks because. I feel like I need to experience Breath of the Wild. I know in my heart that it's a game that that everyone playing it has their own experience, has their own adventure to take out of it, and mm-hmm. I want that for myself. But God, the commitment. Because the other reason, the reason why I'm scared, there's a game that I love called Jade Cocoon 2. And we could have an entire separate hour-long discussion about Jade Cocoon 2 because it's such a diamond in the rough that no one I talk to ever knows anything about it, and I don't have the time to explain it. But... Jake Cocoon 2 is a game that I would spend entire hours on a laptop just planning out the order of skill fusions and monsters and how I was going to build my team all the way down to the very, very, very end game. And I would play it, and I would play it for 60 hours. I would play for I would play it for so long that the save file timer would max out and it, it wouldn't go any higher, <laughs> even though it would continue to save your game. And three times in a row over the course of how many times I played that game, I would play it. And then I would get distracted by something, whether it was midterms or another game or something else, and I'd come back, and I'd have no clue where I was or what I was doing. I would have no idea how far along I was. I wouldn't know what I was, what my next itinerary was, what my goal was. I'd forget. And when I forget, and I don't know where to continue, I don't want to mess up, so I'd start over. <laughs> oh, man. I started that game from scratch four separate times before I finally found the time to commit to it to finish it all the way through and I remember when I finally beat it when I beat like the the final tournament guy and the credits started rolling and I thought to myself I'm done (laughs) (laughs) it's over (laughs) I've beaten the game I I did it I'm free so I I I I do not want that to happen with Breath of the Wild. Yeah, you're going to end up doing that. God, no. <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm scared. 
It is not a game that I can start over from scratch after getting 75% of the way through. So help me God. Then start all over. No. No, no, no. <laughs> no. You cannot make me return by death on that game. <laughs> I refuse. Go through all the seeds again. So, with uh, Mega Man versus Sonic the Hedgehog. Mega Man. Sorry. It's Mega Man. Sorry. Do you mean like in an actual fight? Yeah, an actual fight. Uh, is Supersonic allowed, or is it just what? What? What is what? If you do Supersonic, weapon access, do they have access to? For right now, let's say normal. They got nothing. Just no, normal. So just Mega normal. Man doesn't have any of his robot master powers. No, we're gonna leave it right there for right now, and we'll go to the next step. All right. Absolutely neutral. Mega Man wins. If you can beat someone like Flashman or uh, someone who's able to freeze time or go at super speed uh, just through careful planning, I think he's capable of pulling it off. I know that's going to be difficult because all he has are his lemons, um, but we also know that the lemons in some games don't have a set distance. They just go forever, mm-hmm. and if you can just spray enough of them, it doesn't matter how fast he is. You're going to hit him eventually. Okay, let's add, it. Let's add this. So with the power-ups... Uh, to power to the extent of supersonic. Yes. If Sonic has access to supersonic, it's over. <laughs> Mega Man doesn't have anything equivalent. Like, it, sure, he, maybe he has his armor in the X series where he can do the Hadouken that's an instant kill, mm-hmm. or he has shields that can protect himself, but he doesn't have anything that makes him straight up invincible. And if you combine supersonic speed with his invulnerability with his power, it, it's it's. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say. Well, maybe there's a chance that Mega Man can eat it. Nope, he's dead. He's gone. He's done. So it sounds like it would be a, a tie at this point between normal and superpowers. Plus, if if Sonic is supersonic, then he can probably harden his head spikes into like hard spikes, and we all know what happens when Mega Man touches spikes. He's he's dead. Uh-huh, Sonic true. could literally Sonic could literally just hedgehog his way. He can he could act like a porcupine and just back himself into the blue bomber, and he's done. Yeah, that would, would probably not be a pretty sight. Moonwalk him into his own grave. <laughs> so do you ever have time to actually sit back and enjoy a movie or a show? I don't to? watch TV or anime as often as I want to. Like, um, The last anime I saw was Made in Abyss, and that helped by the fact that it was, I think, 12 or 13 episodes long, so we were able to binge it in a single sitting. Mm-hmm. Um I do have the time to watch shows. The only reason I don't is because I either absorb it or I use it up like lurking online or interacting with fans or like I said, playing through Etrian Odyssey. I'm definitely more of a gamer than an anime viewer, mm-hmm. although I want to be better about that. Like my wife, definitely, she's been trying to force herself to sit down and watch new series that are coming out. <clears throat> so it's not a question of if I have time. It's if I can push myself to actually sit down and, and watch the series. And... I guess that's part of why I'm hoping to get better and better at my career because even if I don't have the time to to watch it on my own, maybe I can find the time to watch the stuff that I've performed in or even just researching shows so that I can be better prepared when I go in to record for them. That still counts as watching the show. Yeah. So, although I do think I have, some, I have stuff to gain from it just by watching anime in general because if I watch more anime shows on my own time, then there's an equally good chance that 
if they get localized for a dub and I get auditions for the characters, I already know the character inside and out. There's a there's going to be a noticeable difference between auditioning for a character who I understand their entire motivation versus I only understand what I can glean from these five to six audition lines, mm -hmm. which right. usually are just from like episode one or two. Um, so you don't know what they go through. No, 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 you're right. Until you've actually seen the entire, you know, go through from beginning to end. Now, have you had a chance to see, go out and see any movies recently? Black Panther. Oh, oh. what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, I'm super happy that it's getting the attention it deserves. I still want to see Get Out. Um, <laughs> my wife and I want to see Peter Rabbit, not because of the story, <laughs> but because of how cute the rabbits are. Right. Um, and we are secretly, secretly, secretly praying for Zootopia 2. Please, Disney. Please. I could see them Please. actually doing that, though. I mean, huh? I could see them actually doing that. And they're, they're, I mean, they're doing Record Route 2. Comes out like they, I, I plan on seeing that, too. There's, yes. there's so many good movies coming out. And that's what, that's one of the cases where I'm grateful for the friends that I've made since moving to California. Like the friends I talk about who aren't involved with voiceover but support me anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, because one of them is a big movie buff. So if it were just up to me, I would be too lazy. I'd never get out of the house to actually go see the movies. But because I have these friends that are like, hey, dudes, this is coming out soon. When are we going to go see it together? That really helps me get out of the house and spend time with them. And I'm immensely grateful for that. Nice. I'm trying to think of this. Because they were bringing up a lot of movies this year. I mean, there's a tons of Marvel ones coming out. Uh, you got Deadpool 2. You've got Avengers coming out. I'm pro I'm gonna end up seeing all of them. If, yeah. <laughs> if not, just out of personal interest, because that movie buff friend is gonna make sure we go, yeah. and also because every time I go, I smell that movie theater fake popcorn butter, and I'm, oh, I know it's not real butter, but I'm no. telling you right now, I'm about two steps away from just filling up a bucket with the butter and sipping that throughout <laughs> the movie. I don't care. I came I I came on this earth to live a good life, not a long one. Right. I'm gonna enjoy it. Enjoy it once. Oh man! So it sounds like you do enjoy your movies. You're, you get I to do. do what you you know. You can watch what you can. Mm -hmm. You enjoy what you do. I, I, I so badly want to see ReZero again when it's out. Partially, partially just because. I'm not saying this to to imply I don't have any confidence in myself, but when you've spent that long recording on a series and that long having it in your head, you want closure. You want to see the finished product. You want to know if it's as good as you hoped it was going to be. You want to know if all the time and effort you put into it paid off. Mm. And even if it's not good, I just want to know. I just want to know. I don't want to be thinking about it anymore. I want to be able to showcase it and see what people think of it. And it kills me to, to still not hear anything of it and to announce it and not even have an English trailer to show. It hurts. Right. It hurts. And I just... I just want to be – because I'm the person who's like actions speak louder than words. If something is good, show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. In terms of storytelling, in terms of your skill set, like the people who brag the most about their skills are probably the ones who don't have a lot to show for it. Um, if, they're, if they're good, you're going to hear how good they are. And I just – I'm willing to hype this up with people, but I want to be able to just show them instead of tell them I promise it's going to be good. I promise it's going to be good. I promise I'm going to be good. I hope you're going to enjoy it. I want to be able to say, I know I did a good job. Here's proof. Right. And it's, I feel like it's also too, where when that show, when the work does show, you can actually learn a lot from, you know, the, 
really about anything like what you know i i did a great job in this part i should keep that up just in a matter of talking about the show like i want to be able to like if someone says my god you sounded so good in that one scene where he's doing that thing i want to be able to be like hey yeah i remember when i was in the studio for that and this is what i was doing like this is this is the method that i used to really insert myself into the scene to to not only acknowledge but Mm -hmm. add on to that is how fandoms grow is by acknowledging existing content and then adding context or backstory behind it or even uh extrapolating it into what if what if he did this or what could have happened after this mm-hmm. i want to be able to to add to the existing community instead of just pretending you know right on now it's i mean just from what i mean i you know i've i've always watched the the original the original japanese voices for so long and mm-hmm. then, I'd say about two years ago, three years ago, I started to slowly come back to this, you know, to the dub voices, and it's actually sounding much better. You know, mm-hmm. things have gotten improved. Things are getting are sinking more. The you know the 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 amount of emotion in the voices have gotten better at it. So it's interesting. Um, and it's a um, little of that. <laughs> interesting to see how, you know, this one coming out. You know, ReZero is going to come out. So. Especially when I remember the part about the water, the water, the water one that you did. I'll keep an eye on I'm, that. I'm going to reiterate. I'm gonna, it's, this is super hypocritical of me to say because I'm saying don't do it, followed by, but I absolutely did it anyway because I wanted it to be authentic. Mm-hmm. It, it's because I'm stupid. Like I'm going to tell people right now, I did it because I'm dumb. Don't do that. You can you can give an authentic performance without putting your actual life in danger. And I I should regret that I I did something that dangerous, but I'm too. I'm too spastic to acknowledge how dangerous it was. So what did so, the, so what did the studio? Did, I mean, they saw you know you, what you were doing. What did they say about? Oh it? no, no, they they were fine with it because I was willing to go with it. If if I hurt myself in the process of recording, it's not their fault. But like a fellow director from a different studio, when I told her about it, went, "What the hell were you thinking?" Like she's she's the mama bear of the industry. She cares about her talent and she she looks after them. So she she's happy that I'm happy, but she was really pissed off that I did it. Like why would you do that to yourself? She was. Do she was again. like she was mad. So well, she's looking out for us. That's always good. She is. I'm not I'm not mad that she's mad. She has every right to be. Hey, that's okay. Well, Sean, I appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Again, thank you so much for being willing to, to hold it off just a little bit so we could talk about this new project. No, it, it's, sounds, it sounds really it, – it's what, the summer this year supposedly? Yeah, sometime? not not just on the level of how meaningful it is to me in terms of life goal, but mm-hmm. as fun as Breath of the Wild was, it was very restrictive on what I could talk about. And so there were so many times when people were like, well, how was it like – how was the audition or how was the recording process? And I had to say – I can't I can't say anything. I don't know what I'm allowed to say. And with right. a show like this, obviously I'm not going to give away industry secret info, but mm-hmm. as far as being able to talk about what I did for the scenes and and my involvement in it, it's so much more open on what I can talk about and I'm so so excited to just boil everything down to its core and get into the nitty-gritty of what it meant for me to be involved with this and I'm so glad that I can now talk about it. And it's and it's interesting though is that it sounds like Maybe I'm wrong. Is with anime shows you can actually talk more about it compared to video games, where they're a little bit more, you know, restricted. Like, no, you can't say this, you can't do this, 
I, I feel like it might be a combination of like with anime shows, you know it's going to be recorded at a certain anime studio and the process is pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a game company, a lot of them don't want you to know their recording process because mm-hmm. they don't want other companies stealing from it or they just they want to – they want the focus to be on their products, not their processes. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. Because in anime, an anime, a show, is about the characters. It's about the deliveries. It's about the performance. A mm-hmm. game is about the gameplay. And right. games don't games don't need voiceover to be successful. You look at stuff like Ori in the Blind Forest or just games that don't use voiceover as a central aspect. And with a show, with an anime, the voiceover is part of it you can't have the show without the voices so but it it's just like, easy and it seems Go like ahead. you know games are now becoming more of a performance so you're gonna it is more, and I, I will say that if game companies felt like they could get away with publishing a game without it needing voiceover they do that and so mm-hmm. that's why i'm grateful for this career because the only reason it exists is because people want it and because companies are convinced that they are necessary in order for them to be marketable to modern audiences so Mm -hmm. i'm not kidding when i say my income my paycheck exists because of the fans and that's probably why i find it easier for me to like connect and give back to fans than it is to my own colleagues because at its very core my colleagues may refer to me to clients but my job only exists because of the fans (laughs) they come first in my mind and i should give equal attention but the fans are are my everything they are they are my lifeblood i don't i don't need their validation in order to be proud of the work i do but i still care deeply about how entertained they feel by the products that they consume and if i'm going to be part of something that they're going to be consuming i'm going to make damn well sure i make it worth their time nice that's how it's great. Well, I mean, you're doing a great job. I mean, I'm just from what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, you really do care about what you do. I do. <laughs> I do. I'm, I gonna I I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna freaking cry. I do. <laughs> I want. I want nothing more than for because the the main worry I have is is early on in my career there was a game that I auditioned for that I was spastically enthusiastic about it the minute I realized that I was auditioning for this instead of just reading about it the fanboy in me was going nuts but it kind of took over where I was I was fanning I was fawning so much over the concept of possibly being involved in this game that I wasn't really giving a lot of focus into the professional side of like reading the character specs and understanding the character archetype and delivering audition lines that match the atmosphere. The fanboy took over the professional and it hurt my performance. It hurt my ability to to give reads that weren't exaggerated and fakey. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so even though I've grown as an actor, there's there's always there's that little nagging voice in the back of my head that says, are you sure that what you gave was authentic and that the the enthusiasm and the attachment you had to the series didn't overtake your ability to be a professional cuz there is there is a way to be a fan while also being a professional and it's 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 that's why i need closure is because i'm not going to know until the show is out and it's one of those cases where i have to just trust my director i have to trust that they'd only pull the best out of me that i brought my best to the table and they molded it where necessary to give the best possible quality um and so it's gonna it's gonna bug me until it's out but i all i hope all i hope is that the the love i had for this character and for this role only added to the quality instead of pulled away 
and we'll have to find out. We'll have to see. Indeed. Sean, again, I appreciate you coming coming out of it or yeah. getting on your recording. I uh, where's your recording <laughs> beyond it being done again? If you don't yeah. mind me asking. Wait, wait, what would you say? <laughs> where, where, where is your, where are you recording tonight? If oh, you in my this. closet. Okay. I'm literally in my closet right now. I've been, <laughs> it's very stuffy in here, and my back is sweating like a frog in summer. Yeah, I think we should probably end it now. <laughs> Again, I appreciate and here's it. Life. <laughs> I have already made a home. No problem. I've got a mouse friend. His name is Skitters. He finds me peanut butter in the wall cracks. <laughs> Thank you again, Sean. Where can people find you at? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Sonic Mega, on Tumblr at Sonic Mega, on Facebook at Sonic, no, at Sean Chiplock. Um, Twitter is definitely the best place to follow me in terms of just fan with professional because any announcements that I make, they always go on Twitter first and then end up on Facebook later. Um, and just in general, if you want to like contact me via DM, I, I check my Twitter most often. Um, cause I usually reserve my email for business purposes or if I'm doing like indie projects and stuff like that. So okay. Twitter is definitely the best. At Sonic Mega, it's like Sonic and Mega Man, just without the man. So, yeah. okay. And everybody, you can catch uh, more of us from CatWithMonaco.com. You know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube, Twitch at CatWithMonaco. Thank you again, Sean. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. <laughs>